Well, good afternoon and welcome to Talk of the Towns. We try to go beyond the headlines, make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is aired on WERU Community Radio since 1993, dedicated to the proposition that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I'm your host, Ron Beard. Liz Graves is on maternity leave, so we hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. And a reminder that we're recording this show in advance and won't be taking any calls. So if you were to ask about the cultural resources of Maine, what would come to mind? What is culture anyway, and whose job is it to protect or promote it? So today we've got some folks with a group called the Cultural Alliance of Maine, and we're happy to um, welcome them to WERU and and talk of the towns. Um, We've got Molly Cashwell, who is a co-director of this Cultural Alliance of Maine. Molly's prior work with cultural organizations internationally and in the U.S. She's a board member of the MDI Historical Society and the Jessup Library, and she lives in Lemoyne. Welcome to you, Molly. Thank you, Ron, for having me. Eklas Ahmed is the co-director um, with Molly of the Cultural Alliance. She's a former educator, human rights activist. She resettled to Maine in 2005, a refugee from Sudan. She's a board member for the Portland Public Library and Mayo Street Arts, and she lives in Wyndham. Welcome to you, Eklas. Glad to have Thank you with you. us. Good morning. Thank you. And Stu Kestenbaum, welcome back to Talk of the Towns. You were on to, not too long ago talking about Breaking Bread, that wonderful book. But Stu is is a member of the steering committee for the Cultural Alliance in Maine and, and one of the co-founders. Um, he is a senior advisor at Monson Arts at this point. He's the former poet laureate and the former director of Haystack Mountain School of Crafts. He lives in Deer Isle. Thanks for being with us, Stu. Thanks, Ron. Perhaps we could just go back around and and, uh, and and how you came to this work. Molly, want to start with you? I was born in Calais and, uh, you know, ended up in the Bangorn area, I guess, in my teens. Um, and then, you know, I, I went away to college and just gradually observed all the changes that took place in downtown Bangor, which were spur really instigated, I suppose, by the opening of the Maine Discovery Museum. Um, so it was really fascinating to me from that early, early age, just to see what a, a, an institution that, you know, I, I was too old to go to it, but I still was benefiting from it. And it was really fascinating to me to see how community transformation can happen around culture, even if we're not necessarily going to that space all the time, we still benefit from it because of all of the changes that take place when you draw people into a, a community and, and bring new energy to it. So I guess that was what got me interested in how we can encourage more of that community transformation through culture. So in college, I studied art, and then I got my graduate degree actually in arts administration and cultural policy. So when I moved back to Maine in 2019, you know, always had it in my heart to to try to foster a sense of cultural policy in Maine. Um, And I I believe we always have cultural policy. It's either intentional or unintentional. And so I, I hope that through the Cultural Alliance of Maine, we can all embrace on a state county and municipal level intentional cultural policy. Eklas, tell us a little bit about yourself and and, uh, the journey that you've made to Maine and how you got involved in in this effort. 
Yeah, absolutely. I am originally from Sudan. Uh, my family resettled in Portland, Maine uh, in 2006 uh, due to the ongoing genocide in my home country of Darfur. Uh, so when I first came here, Maine was so different than what it is today. That time I was a schoolgirl, so I went to Casco Bay High School and I started my journey, my education journey at USM, University of Southern Maine. Undergraduate was in sociology and uh, graduate degree in education. So I found myself as a teacher, you know, teaching a language that I barely knew and it was just getting to actually begin to love. Uh, but I really loved being an educator because it allowed me to get to know my community members, to kind of also understand the U.S. culture more than when I was in Sudan uh, and uh, kind of embrace myself in my new community. I was uh, writing poetry. I, I, I wrote uh, poetry in high school. Uh, I went to the library constantly. And I feel like all of the different things that have helped me find my voice in the States are our culture and what makes culture today. Um, so, you know, I recently... Um, kind of needed a break from being an educator. CAM was a, a beautiful kind of new journey to kind of advocate for all the different things that I really care about. Like I was just saying, uh, I'm a proud member of the Portland Public Library as a, a volunteer, but I went there as a schoolgirl and uh, just all of the different things that I feel like we need to continuously advocate for together. And I, we can do that through CAM. I'm really excited to be joining Molly and to be yeah, joining the cultural advocacy, uh, which we will talk about in a little bit. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, Stu, a little bit about your own journey um, to this place and this time. Sure. Um, well, I first came to Maine uh, uh, as a hitchhiker and then came back as a dishwasher and then uh, got was an apprentice to a potter in Portland in the 1970s when it was an kind of up-and-coming art scene, a very affordable place to live, and uh, gradually became involved in arts administration through a government program called CETA, which was an employment program and was director of the Children's Museum when it was in Cape Elizabeth and got involved with uh, the Maine Arts Commission and worked there for about eight years before going to Haystack. But I think when I was at the Arts Commission, I had a chance to, to travel around the state to visit grantees to see what kinds of programs were going on to visit places I probably wouldn't have otherwise like to go to Fort Kent became just aware of the how vibrant uh, every part of Maine was and the great uh, strength that people took from the cultural life and from the life of the communities in all those places and uh, and I think that's uh, that's always stayed with me and at Haystack it was built around a community of Deer Isle and then a, an international community of of people coming, but I was always aware of the potential role that a cultural institution could have within a community to be not hover above that community, but actually be part of it in terms of how it engages with people. And uh, I'm still good at washing dishes. That's one of my favorite things to do. And now I'm working with uh, the Libra Foundation on Monson Arts, which is an endeavor to uh, really rejuvenate an, an area of the state that's been hard hit by an economic decline in terms of um, manufacturing jobs going. And um, Monson Arts is a, a residency and workshop program. The idea is that through creative endeavors, we can be a catalyst for further development. And Stu, you mentioned your connection to the um, Maine Arts Council. 
what's culture and what's arts and and uh, how, how did that that kind of that recognition that maybe culture needed its own uh, place to stand led you to be a co-founder of of the Cultural Alliance of Maine? Well, you know, when I was at the Arts Commission, we would there were different ser- art service groups that would meet. One was called the Maine Arts Sponsors Association, which later became the Maine Performing Arts Network. This is back when Talk of the Towns was just getting started. So it was a while ago. I think there was just this idea of like large and small from at that time, like a group like the Portland Concert Association, which is now Ovations, to small all volunteer organizations in, in central Maine. We're all coming to conferences when people used to gather together and really saw what they had in common and how they helped each other out. And they weren't all specifically arts organizations. There were libraries involved. There were literary organizations. I think once you travel around Maine, you just see that there's a, just in each community, there's a, not, not every community has a museum, but many communities have historical societies and they're a great source of pride. And many, many have libraries and they're also really center communities. So I think like seeing that, that kind of vibrancy all around, I, I, I think even at the Arts Commission, I think we could see it was a much broader network. There was, there was more, more ways that people participated. Can you, and can you, and then we'll go around to see what um, Molly and Necklace would say, what, what would you say culture is? How would you define culture? A, a term that to people know, but don't really define. I mean, did they know it in their hearts? <laughs> yeah, they I think they do. I think it's what makes things uh, feel alive and vibrant and, 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 and that grounds you in the community and place that you are. I mean, you, there could, you could say culture and culture has a connotation like it's something you're never going to get, like you're not cultured. Mm. But I think the way we use it is there's a natural environment in Maine and there's a human environment. They interact and that cultural life, the things that people recognize within their own communities that give a sense of identity and make them feel engaged and alive, I'd say that's what that's what culture is. I do think, you know, there's always a temptation that people have to make a hierarchy of what's like high culture, low culture. You know, it's it's uh, I think you do know when you see it and you can feel it, there's a vibrancy that gives people a sense of a way to understand who they are and where the, where they come from and where they're going. Eklis, what would you add or how would you define culture? Yeah, I think that in in every person or I feel like in every community, they have a, a different definition of culture, which I think why I'm so in love with this term, because you can, wherever you go, there's a different terminology for it because it's how people interact, like Stu was saying. Uh, to me, it's how people interact, how they uh, are able to help each other to kind of Co- coexist in the in 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 this life. Um, for me, that's how it was. It's being a Sudanese American. How I'm able to find my voice here through uh, writing, you know, in Arabic, and and still call that a part of my culture. Uh, being able to cook differently and have different spices from all different parts of the world, whether it's from Sudan. I also lived in Egypt, Cairo, Egypt for a brief time with my family. So bringing that culture from Egypt to with me here to Wyndham, Maine or Portland, Maine is also culture. So it's so different and so unique. Uh, and I think it's how people uh, use it to interact with one another to coexist. And, and, and that's the beautiful part about it. Molly, how would you approach this this definitional challenge. 
Um, I guess, you know, another piece of it for me is it's it's kind of like a, a marketplace for ideas. You know, it's where different ideas, different perspectives can come together and shape each other. And then something completely new can come out of it or maybe not. I mean, you know, I think that we, we talk about heritage and we talk about holding on to the past. But I think, you know, there's there's never there's never a look at the past that doesn't bring something new to it and help us define the future. To me, that's what culture is, is, you know, the freedom to involve as many voices as you can in creating a new sense of ourselves, a new understanding of the past and a new vision for the future. And and who makes up um, the Cultural Alliance of Maine? Who would you say your Molly, who are your constituents, if you will? Yeah, it's a great question. We, we have a, a big tent on purpose. You know, we have libraries, historical societies, arts organizations, um, creative businesses, individual artists, individual culture workers, and of course, our culture barriers or language carriers. Um, I think arts educators certainly come into play. But then there's also a lot of um, networks that are that are serving uh, constituencies in different ways. Um, you know, so we are in dialogue with museums and archives of Maine, you know, with the state cultural agencies like the Maine State Library, um, Historic Preservation Commission. So really, you know, everybody that's working on this this big question of culture in, in various ways, whether for-profit or non-profit or, or governmental agency. Stu, when you um, helped create the Cultural Alliance of Maine, who was your partners? What was the conversation like that actually sure. led to CAM? It began shortly after the pandemic arrived. I'm remembering it was so May of 2020, and Abby Levin, who, who I've known for many years, who worked at the Arts Commission, who works as a contractor with Office of Tourism and is involved with economic and community development in Maine, just called people she knew. If you remember how how uh, how silent and and unnerving that moment was when the world felt like it was falling apart. And Abby called up people she knew from uh, Mark Basir at the Portland Museum of Art to Chris Newell at the Abbey Museum, uh, people at the, uh, really uh, uh, all around the state, just basically friends, people she'd worked with in different endeavors in the cultural life of Maine. And we just got together to say, well, what's going on? Like, it just felt like like and like the end of the world so what, what's going on and what uh, so it felt like it was a sense of some solidarity and comfort just to be in the same zoom room i think there were like 14 of us and we just began to talk about what role can we play in having cultural and cultural policy be part of whatever comes next in the life of our state and our country and i think the feeling of uh, everybody knows Culture is important in Maine. If you if you take if you were to say let's just take out what we call culture out of every community, you know you wouldn't have that much. You, you know you lose the life of it. And yet, when it comes to talking about what Maine needs, usually culture is thrown in at the end. Like, well, we need roads, we need bridges, we need industry, we need this and that. Oh yeah, and then we have the culture. I'm exaggerating, but I think the thought is it's not. It, it shouldn't be an afterthought. It should be part of the thought, because if you think what's holding Maine together, what gives it its life is its culture. It, and so when you're making policies, don't, don't forget us. We would think of a kind of metaphorical table, you know, that we wanted a seat at that table. So when you're talking about it, it's not like it happens with education too. 
always happens with the arts. It's just like, oh yeah, no, we love you. We love you. Stay over there. You're at the bridge table. It's like the big Thanksgiving table and then there's a kid's table. You know, it's like, we want to be part of the discussion. And and that's that's really how it evolved. And we thought, how can we engage more people? And I think we all remembered that sense of solidarity of gathering in larger groups of people with either standalone associations like the uh, grouping of libraries or historical societies or bringing a larger group together. And so we began to have some convenings just to on Zoom, just to bring people together. And that really was the the genesis. And I think I think this idea of we don't really reference it that much now, but this idea of a seat at the table is is important. It's like, you know, if there's if there's a discussion going on about what should happen in Maine, then don't do it all and then say, oh, yeah, no, we have we have culture, too. So, you know, you should start with that because that's, you know, that's what when you drive through a town, any town, you know, that's what you'll that that's what gives the town its itself its mm. business kind of. yeah. great we are tuned to talk of the towns this morning or this afternoon rather i have to remember that uh, molly cashwell is with us uh Eklis ahmed both are co-directors of the cultural alliance of maine and Stu kestenbaum who was one of the co-founders of the cultural alliance of maine um molly are there other groups like this around the country or are you um pioneering or are you joining a parade <laughs> Well, I would say both, actually. I mean, there's certainly um, other advocacy organizations. Some are devoted to arts, some are devoted to culture, some are devoted to, you know, arts, uh, science and culture. There's many different variations, but I would say probably most states already have something like this. Um, and it's been it's been a desire to, to do something like this in Maine, I would say for decades. I mean, from, from what I've heard in, in various conversations, but, you know, until Zoom, it was just really frankly, pretty um, impossible for someone in Fort Kent and someone in Kittery to to really feel like, you know, genuinely being part of a collaborative effort, I would say, you know what I mean, at least on like a communications basis on uh, regularly. So um, as as Stu mentioned, you know, starting with the CAM convenings, it's, it's just been a wonderful opportunity to create this statewide uh, base of, of collaboration. So um, yeah, so to answer your question, there's there's definitely um, a really vibrant network of cultural advocacy organizations around the country. Um, and Eklas and I talk to them frequently. You know, we're kind of our own little industry association of sorts, um, exchanging ideas and best practices. And there are so many things that can be achieved in Maine that we're learning from in other states as well. So that's one of the, the beautiful aspects of being in community with them. But to, in terms of what's unique about what we're doing in Maine. I think, you know, Maine is culturally extremely unique. You know, we have um, our incredible tribal community that we're, that we're working with as well. Um, we have just a really, I think, unique combination of uh, rural culture here, um, along with, you know, more urban dense centers. Um, we also have our international border. And so we have a, a frequent cultural communication and exchange with New Brunswick and Quebec. So there's a lot of very unique features, I think, when we talk about supporting culture in Maine. Eklas, do you um, what what do you, you take from some of these convenings um, that that you frequently have? What 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 um, comes out mm -hmm. at you? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, I think for us, because this is the first culture alliance here in Maine. So for us, we're really just, for me personally, I sit and I listen to see what has went well uh, for, you know, something simple or even as close as to New York City or uh, somewhere as far as California to see how they have approached, uh, you know, their alliances and how how has it been working for them so that we can uh, maybe use something similar to what they have used uh, and that we're not starting from scratch. Um, so that has been really nice. And to also just have a support system. I think that we can run ideas through them. We can um, ask for feedback or for questions. And, and some of them answer us and give us assistance as we are trying to make sure that our alliance here is in Maine is as inclusive and it's as diverse and it's as uh, accessible because really we want it to be a space uh, and an organization that people can actually trust the information we're providing and come to us for support when they need to. Uh, so it's been a really good supportive system for us. Mm. You've each mentioned in some uh, fashion that one of the pieces of work has to do with policy cultural policy. Um, let's go around again, maybe starting with Eccles. What does that look like for you um, in the Portland area, for instance? What policies might a community yeah. be considering? Absolutely. And and we were just all saying, you know, when it comes to art and culture, it is so many different things that make us who we are. Uh, and for me, uh, there is so much that is needed uh, at the table in terms of policy, because without policy, we are not able to have the funding we need to even have in Culture Alliance. Uh, our students that want bigger libraries in, in different parts of Maine cannot do that if policies are not changing to make sure there's funding for for those things that they need uh, as students to have. Uh, there are teachers who need uh, bigger schools. And that also, to me, is part of culture and part of art in Maine to have better education system. And, and uh, there are so many different bills that legislators have that can change of how culture is in Maine. So to me, a part of uh, our work at CAM is to advocate for bills, for, uh, for things that are kind of Adamantly for the future of me, not just right now, what do we need, but what policies do we need to continue advocate for to change the fabric of, of how Mainers can live and, and can continue to have art and culture as a fabric of their living. Mm. Molly, how would you approach that question of policy? Are there examples other than funding um, that uh, come to mind in terms of policy that CAM might be advocating for? Oh, so many. I mean, when you look at the state's 10-year um, strategic, uh, what is it called, economic development strategy, strategic plan, you know, it, it hinges on this concept of attractive talent and innovation. Um, and then when you hear, you know, the governor's speech about being, I, I think, completely renewable energy resource by 2040, I mean, those are spaces that other countries and other states, they're involving their cultural sector in achieving these goals. I mean, and to look at an international example, there's a, there's a, um, I guess you could say entity called Creative Carbon Scotland, for example. And it's about the cultural sector. Whenever you're talking about a narrative shift, whenever you're talking about education and information and empowerment to make better decisions individually and as a society, you're talking about culture and you're talking about cultural policy. And so the question of whether you do it well is how, how, how much of an invitation and how much of an investment you make 
in the incredible skill sets of your cultural workforce um, to, to make that a reality. I mean, I, I think another great example here in Maine, when you, we think about the Department of Transportation, um, I think that transportation decisions should be also made in, in connection with, with cultural organizations, not only because, you know, as there's so many examples in, in history where transportation decisions were made in a way that were negative for communities, but I think even looking at, at just what's pos- possible that's positive, Creative Portland has this incredible bus shelters initiative, which has received national attention. And it's just a great example of how, you know, any kind of infrastructure investment that you make, um, it shouldn't just be functional. It should be statement about the vision for the community. And I think that's every agency, every department in in our state and county levels um, can benefit from that. Mm. Stu, any examples of of showing up at the table, as you put it, um, that uh, influence uh, local policy or state policy? Um, well, you know, I know Deer Isle is just embarking on its comprehensive plan, which is out of date. You know, there's there's it makes sense to have people involved and in, who know about design issues, about architecture, about planning, which is you know part of culture. It's not one that we've talked about that much yet, but you know, the built environment in Maine, every time you drive into a community, you know, if you want to think what that community is like, you're going to think about the buildings. I think you think about what a certain place is like, and they're amazing gems, you know, that are all around the state. And you need to uh, take care of those. You know, so that's like part of the discussion, like, how do you have a vibrant downtown? We have it because people are attracted to the built environment. That's a big part of what the main development foundation does. So I think, you know, having architecture design, part of that uh, historic preservation, I know that there's an initiative, which is kind of working its way through the legislature now in terms of tax credits for historic preservation. There, you know, there are ways that you can think that should happen. And while we were talking, I was just thinking, you know, it's, a, it's great that we have so many solar panels all around Maine, but it, it seems, I don't think there's been that much thought to how they are going in all around Maine. And I know there's been talk about some ways how it's chopping up the natural environment. So, you know, that has an impact on wildlife populations, how they migrate. Uh, but that's a design issue and how they look, you know, so that you don't say, well, we got all the solar energy and and you're in, a you know, corridors of solar panels. It's like you have to be thoughtful about that. So I think like thinking that way, I realize this is more design, but design's part of culture. Kind of think about that while you're getting started. Don't just say, well, we got to get this thing done. Say, well, let's get it done in a way that's mindful of how we live here and what's important to us. And I think I think maybe that's a kind of at the heart of how we, we might advocate. Mm. So I can imagine that the convenings that you've held as uh, the Cultural Alliance of Maine, uh, bringing people together to share stories. Um, are there particular stories, Molly, that you um, remember from the last convening that kind of inspired you, um, one community to another? Mm, I mean, there's really so many examples. And I think, you know, something, the stories that I'm always drawn to, I, I think, are where there's intersections between, you know, culture and something else. I, you know, I think that that's, you can tell that's on all of our minds really is that, you know, culture is not this isolated um, phenomenon. It's, you know, part of everything that we need to strengthen. Um, so, I mean, actually just to speak of something that I'm looking forward to that's coming up on March 15th, um, we're looking at the culture of science in Maine. And so I think that's a really fascinating example. You know, we're, we're coming on the, um, on the tail end of a, 
I think, a national um, boiling point about, you know, that whether one believes in science or not kind of comes down to often a cultural question. Um, and so we're we're actually going to be talking about the culture of, of science here in Maine, where we have amazing labs and research entities. So we'll be meeting with um, the uh, Maine Discovery Museum, the Maine Science Festival, um, an organization called Wabanaki Youth in Science, which is looking at um, traditional ecological knowledge um, and contemporary science and how it's taught in ways that those can be um, more closely stitched together and how traditional ecological knowledge can be brought into the science classroom as well as, a, as an important counterpart and, and partner to, to that scientific teaching. Um, and we'll also hear from um, as somebody who's an MFA candidate at uh, UMaine's Intermediate Program. Um, and the Intermediate Program is looking more at how artistic research um, can be considered, you know, something that's that happens in tandem with some of the more, you know, straightforward engineering uh, concepts. Because when you look at, you know, forest products, I think the way that that's developing and innovating at such a rapid pace, you know, as Stu said, there's a, there's a design question with that. And I think that when you're um, thinking about, um, you know, those kinds of new materials, you're, you're talking about material culture and the way that, you know, it all kind of goes forward in tandem. So mm. I would say that that's, some, not someone that we've had, but one that's coming up that I'm very excited about. Great. Well, listeners, you're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We have some wonderful guests talking about uh, the Cultural Alliance of Maine. And in the next half hour, we'll talk about um, Cultural Heritage Week in Maine, which com is coming up in, in um, the middle of March. Uh, guests include uh, this morning or this afternoon, Molly Cashwell and Eklas Ahmed, who are co-directors of the Cultural Alliance of Maine, and Stu Kessenbaum, who is a steering committee member and co-founder of this alliance. Well, let's talk a little bit about this um, week of celebration, um, Cultural Heritage Week in Maine, um, March 15th through the 22nd. Molly, you get us started, and then we'll um, hear from our other our guests. Sure. Um, Eklas and I, when we first started, when we first got to know each other, actually, um, later last year, we were thinking about what would be a really meaningful kind of initial project for us uh, with the Cultural Alliance of Maine. Um, and Eklos is a phenomenal advocate in, in many ways and a phenomenal community organizer. Um, and so it just felt like a natural fit that we would approach, you know, creating a cultural advocacy initiative of some sort. Um, and then we, we discovered uh, at some point that actually in Maine, since I believe 1979 in the statutes, there's an annual proclamation uh, from the governor, whoever the governor is at the time, um, that the week of, and it kind of shifts, but it tends to be, you know, the week of March 15th, um, which is celebrated as Statehood Day, uh, would be Cultural Heritage Week. Uh, and the nature of that proclamation has definitely shifted over time, and it's kind of gone a little bit, I would say, to the wayside, or it doesn't get a ton of attention. So we decided that that is the perfect opportunity to really breathe new life into that, you know, decades old um, uh, tradition, I guess you could say, and really give it a vibrance that, you know, kind of befits the vibrant culture that Maine has now. And, you know, it's, it's come a long way since 1979 in, in so many different ways. So uh, March 15th to the 22nd, we'll have a virtual showcase of culture, which everyone should submit to. They can uh, learn more at culturalmaine.org slash join. And it's going to be, we'll have a daily cam convening as well, um, which you can find more about on our website. And it's going to be capped off with an amazing afternoon of uh, cultural advocacy in the State House in the Hall of Flags on March 22nd from 1 to 4 p.m. 
Ekla, so you're, you're, uh, part of your work is as, as an activist. Um, how does this um, week of, of recognition um, of Maine's uh, culture and, and the, the cultural mm -hmm. programs, how does that fit with activism for you? Yeah, I, yeah, I think one one way of activism is that making sure that you're not alone in the room. So I think uh, for us to be ho hosting this event at the State House and, and bringing people together is one way of activism, uh, you know, providing people resources and tools. Uh, like Molly was saying, we're going to have a showcase that people can submit to to kind of talk to us about the work they're doing whether it's uh, here in, in, in this part of Maine or different parts of Maine to collectively bring those voices together at the state house. I think it's going to be an amazing way that we see uh, who is in our community and who is in our culture and who is not so that in our future planning, we make sure that we're deliberately inviting people who were, were unable to come uh, on March 22nd. Uh, another way of activism is also, uh, you know, is uh, telling people we were going to help people to kind of get to know who their legislators are uh, and how do you connect with your legislators. If I'm not doing it for them, they have a way of connecting with their legislator, therefore, to share their personal story, to advocate for something that maybe we don't know about and they do, uh, something that they care about in their community. So I feel like that's another way of uh, of activism. But to me, the community uh, bringing together people part is what I'm really excited about. Uh, I think that is part of culture is is coming and breaking bread together, coming and joining, having a meal, a cup of tea, which we are so excited to bring all of the different foods and different coffees and teas so that we are, uh, you know, kind of collectively creating this new alliance in this new community together uh, to advocate for change and for a a better main, in my opinion. Mm. So um, the originators of this um, week, Molly, must have chosen March because March is, for some of us, it's the hardest month. We have to climb March Hill um, to get towards <laughs> anything that looks like spring. And maybe having this kind of celebration, especially with food and, and so uh -huh. on, is a way to, to, to bring us together. Uh, Stu, what would, you, what would you highlight in terms of this upcoming uh, week uh, called uh, Maine, uh, the Cultural Heritage Week of Maine in Maine, March 15th to 22nd? What would you add? Um, you know, I, I, I think gathering people at the state house, you know, is a, is a, uh, it's a metaphorical kind of journey. You know, it's like, this is like, we're, this is a, the state or the area that we're part of and the people who represent us are our neighbors, you know, Maine, uh, I, I have so many interactions with people in government where normally the way you think about the world now is, well, I'm going to call somebody up and they're going to give me a hard time. But if you call up somebody in Maine, it's just the opposite, really. You know, you can call somebody in state government and they're, gonna, they're actually trying to help you figure a thing out. And I think it's similar with the legislature. If you can get to a level where you're just saying, here's what we think about, here's what we care about, and, and tell that story, uh, people respond. And I think in designing the Cultural Alliance of Maine, it's not the Arts Alliance of Maine. It's not the um, Museum Alliance of Maine. It's not, it's, it's from historical societies to historic preservation to libraries it, it, it and that joins communities together in a, in a different way so i think being able to um 
recognize what you have in your own community and what others have in their communities. There, to me, there's a great sense of solidarity because you can work really hard in your town. And then you say, well, I just met somebody from this town that's a hundred miles away and they're doing this. And, and you, you're joined and you make it, it's like what Eklos was saying. It's kind of like a, like breaking bread. It's like, once you know somebody, once you meet them and they're, then they're not a stranger anymore. Once they're not a stranger, then you have a point of reference. You know, you might not agree on everything, but I think that's what, what cultural communities can bring together. So I think any kind of convening does that because then you have that, that kind of reference point, just like we're having a conversation today. Mm. Uh, and, and so fostering those kinds of conversations and, and just showing people what exists in this state that it's, it's easy to, um, once you get in your own community, sometimes easy to miss, um, what other communities have it. Maybe like going to, to Bangor at the state basketball tournaments, a similar thing. You go, wow, there are all these other communities and they all care about things. So mm-hmm. I think bringing people together, it has a great value. Mm. Uh, what I like about the concept is that it brings people together who are new to our community and people who have lived there for a long time. I was a, a student of mine at College of the Atlantic was just amazed when they went to the local um, Hannafords and they were getting to they were talking with the, the clerk and the clerk said, well, my family has been here for six generations. And the student just was just amazed at that length. And the student said, I wonder if you should you should be teaching a class <laughs> about <laughs> what it has been like to live in a in a place in your family for six generations. And Eccles, you bring the experience of someone, you know, coming with your family and having to make a, a home in a new place. Um, mm-hmm. That seems like that's really an important story to tell. Uh, Eccles, t- tell us a little bit more about that that for you. Yeah, and and it's not usually the easiest thing. Uh, And I think I, even just living here in the States for 15 years, there is so many classes I can teach. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So much. Uh, uh, But, you know, it's really, I think it comes down to, again, being just human. And I always talk about immigrants and refugees, uh, whether they're escaping war, genocide, or just looking for better opportunities. That's why many people come to the United States for those reasons. Uh, I think ultimately it's, it's, is their story and it's who they are and, and, and the perseverance that they take to even leave something familiar to them to come to an unfamiliar, you know, surrounding. So for my family coming to Maine, uh, one of the, you know, widest and the coldest states in the U.S., uh, it was not the easiest, but I think having neighbors, like again, and, and that's why the reference of knowing who is in your community is really important. I think our first month, we didn't know anyone and we didn't talk to anyone in our community. Uh, but, you know, being, being, uh, coming from a background like Sudan, Sudan, people know each other. They know who they check on their neighbors every morning. Actually, before going to the market, you knock on your na- neighbor and you say good morning and you, you continue to the market. So my mom said, this is not okay that we don't know our next door neighbor. So we knocked. Even with our broken English, we brought tea, we brought cookies, and they became our best friends. And 15 years later, we're still, you know, uh, friends and family. They become part of our family now. And I think it's, uh, to me, why one of the biggest reasons why I'm still in Maine, trying to kind of, if there's a, a broken hole or a, a big gap, I'm trying to find a way to close those gaps and to get people to know 
just each other's stories because I think that is gonna break break boundaries and kind of get to know to know who we are and 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 the people that live in 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 our community here and I feel like here in Wyndham or whether when we were in Portland but in generally in Maine um and not to run away from those problems because they continue in 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 all different communities so even if I left and went to Boston or New York I feel like I'll still be trying to do this part of, of community belonging and community gathering because it's really important to me Mm. Molly, who are some of the other um, uh, celebrants um, in this uh, cultural um, uh, week um, in coming up later this month in March? We have a phenomenal list of partners that we're so excited about. You know, we basically um, started, I guess, in, maybe in December, just reaching out to some people and saying, we're going to be doing this. And would you you know, be part of this with us. And, you know, the Abbey Museum uh, with one, one of their, their new director, uh, Betsy Richards and, and Jill Sawyer, their deputy director. Um, they were our earliest conversation. And, you know, of course, we talked to the Cultural Affairs Council agency members. And then from there, we just have expanded like throughout the state. I mean, you know, we've got Surf Point Foundation in New York. Um, we have Indigo Arts Alliance based in Portland, the Acadian Archives in Fort Kent, um, High Peaks Creative Council in Rangeley. Um, I think that's probably our north, south, east, west, maybe, but, and then everything in between. And, you know, Waterville Creates, which is an organization that's devoted to like multiple forms of cultural vitality. Um, the Osher Map Library, you know, in USM, which is telling really important story, stories with um, historical artifacts, the Maine Academy of Modern Music. I mean, there's just so many. They're all listed at the bottom of culturalmain.org slash join. And uh, we're just thrilled that we're going to be able to, you know, draw on such a wide, rich array of culture being made from films, crafts, um, exhibitions, performances, historical uh, preservation, just a really wide array. Mm. And uh, the notion that you cultural might be added last at the table um, doesn't mean that people don't think about it. And as you've talked about this celebration, you've gotten some really good support from um, some of the, the leaders of the state. Uh, if you can share some of that, that would be great. Um, yeah. What have they said about this week, how important it is? Absolutely. We're, we're getting these wonderful messages of support and, and you know, the celebrating with us from Senator Collins and Senator King and we're expecting them from our, our Congress people as well. Um, Governor Mills will be joining us for a CAM convening on March 20th, which we're really excited about. Thrilled that the governor is, you know, she's a poet, of course, so she certainly has a personal connection to culture. But we're also thrilled for the ability to have a conversation about how culture is so pivotal to the state's future. And, you know, like I mentioned, the economic strategic plan. Um, so that's going to be a really interesting conversation. Um, we also have Senate President Troy Jackson who will be uh, joining us at the Cultural Advocacy Day. Um, so we we are just really feeling a lot of desire and uh, I would say even maybe some gratitude in a way that we're bringing some of these conversations forward because I do believe, I mean, it's culture is not a hard sell. You know what I mean? We're not like, you know, pushing something controversial. This is something that's so rooted in quality of life joy, health, physical and mental health, honestly, community building. I mean, there's just, there's no reason not to support it, right? And so it's really just a matter of developing relationships and um, 
communication avenues where we can start to be really thoughtful about building it into our policy uh, more and more. So I think it's a really exciting opportunity for everybody. Mm. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns this afternoon. I'm here talking about the Cultural Alliance of Maine and Cultural Heritage Week in Maine, which is March 15th to 22nd, 2023 for this year. Um, Molly Cashwell, you've just heard from her. Uh, she and her colleague, Eklas Ahmed, are co-directors of the Cultural Alliance of Maine. And we're joined also by Stu Kestenbaum, who is a steering committee member and one of the co-founders of Cultural Alliance of Maine. So as we think about um, the, the what's ahead, um, celebration, certainly, but are there some things that we ought to be thinking about as we think about the future of Maine and the future of our communities? Uh, Stu, you mentioned the the uh, comprehensive plan in Deer Isle, for instance, and many towns are doing that. Um, how, do culture, how do cultural resources, cultural organizations show up in, in those, um, at those tables, if you will? Right. Um, you know, I think uh, knowing the past of communities is really important. Uh, not living in the past, but knowing the past. And I was thinking uh, my involvement with Monson this year, Monson's, Deer Isle's a small town. Monson's much smaller. It's 800 people, lost furniture manufacturing, had a slate industry and lost that, uh, but celebrated its uh, bicentennial this year. And the Historical Society mounted an amazing exhibit of art because there's a great artistic heritage in that region uh, from uh, Marsden Hartley, Bernice Abbott, to uh, contemporary artists like Alan Bray and Todd Watts today. Uh, and, and, the, and it also knew its past, but it, but it was, it was uh, but looking toward the future with the work that's been happening in that community. So it's, I think it's always a matter of, of of honoring what's there, but looking looking forward too, and I I feel that um, understanding that, like uh, Andrew Whitmer, who is a grew up in Monson, who is a history professor at, in Virginia, wrote a book called uh, uh, "History of the Town of Monson," called "Here and Everywhere Else," and he looked at what Monson had gone through over the years, uh, which included having agriculture go in the 19th century having waves of Swedish and Finnish and Welsh immigrants come to work in the slate quarries, that it was welcoming strangers and welcoming newcomers. And this is, uh, you know, not to say every community is wonderful. He points out that national historic trends that are affecting all of us from uh, how complica complicated those are. But by looking at the community itself and knowing it, you're able to make much better decisions and also recognizing that you've been there before, you think, well, the world's falling apart, which perhaps it is. It's been falling apart for a while, you know, and groups of people came together and figured out solutions. And that's what culture is about, I think. So uh, I, that might have been a, a convoluted way to get to the answer. But I think I think that, you know, it's, it's understanding that it's not. And just even thinking about since, uh, say, like the last 10 years, Indigo Arts in Portland didn't exist. I was uh, listening to something on ERU. I think it was a promo for 10 bucks theater, which is a theater company in Bangor in the mall, which was supposed to last forever. It's now who could have conceived that malls would look like the way the downtowns once looked within our lifetime. And it's a new theater group and it's 10 bucks a ticket. I assume is where the name came from. They might have a hard time raising their prices if once that's their name, but, but the, 
point is that, that that's new. That just started. You know, Eklos came and started an organization. So it's like it's like looking at a forest. You know, you it's like it's renewing itself. And that's, I think, very heartening. They're not just, well, here are the cultural organizations. They've been here forever. No, they're actually, they've been here and they're new ones coming all the time. It's a vibrant situation and they they inform how we see the world. Mm. Well, your, your notion about Monson knowing its history and knowing that it has survived um, economic trends, but also knowing that it has a tradition um, of, of arts and culture that go back um, centuries. Um, that's really important because so many people, as you've said earlier, um, tend to focus on well, the economy is is going to hell. <laughs> you know, we fit, need to fix the economy. But in fact, what you're talking about here is that culture is part of the economy and ought to be part of the solution um, to solving that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Eklis, what would you add to, to the conversation about um, how communities are adapting and using culture as part of their future? Anything to add? No, I really love what Stu already said. And I think, yeah, we're... Uh, constantly changing. Like I was saying, Maine is not what Maine was 10 years ago or 15 years ago when my family came. So I even myself, I'm conscious of that and trying to find opportunities or ways to help those new Mainers who are coming into our state um, from different parts of the world to make sure that they feel welcome here and they feel like they can express themselves here. Their kids can go to school here. Um, their, you know, adult sh children can go to college here and also succeed and thrive uh, and express themselves in, in all different parts of. Uh, so that's the kind of my personal work that I'm doing. And I'm so glad that there's a collective group like Cam that we're doing this together, uh, but making sure people feel like they can, uh, you know, stay here in Maine and live here. And that is what's going to hopefully change our economy to even grow back to a better place to where it is now. Absolutely. Um, Molly, any stories that you'd like to share in terms of a community that might be using uh, its cultural base, its cultural heritage, its cultural future as, as a way to, to lever itself up? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about what's happening in Ellsworth, where I'm sitting right now. Um, I think that's a community that is, they're, they're on the cusp of a new comprehensive plan as well. Um, as is Bar Harbor, of course. And I think that's always a really unique opportunity to take stock and almost come up with kind of like a community mission statement. And, you know, that's like Stu mentioned, I mean, struggle and strife is is not new at all. But, you know, I think the unique features of, you know, the housing crisis, for example, um, the the looming uh, climate crisis and the changes that that those will bring to our communities. It does feel like a really important time to think about what the what is what what a community stands for, um, and that's not an easy question. And it's a question that maybe shouldn't be answered, but we should never stop asking it. I suppose, right? And I think that the way the place that we ask that they're in our cultural spaces, they're in our libraries, they're in our historical societies, they're in our museums, and I think more and more really. The backbone of everything that we should be asking ourselves right now um, through all cultural work is, you know, what do we what do we stand for and what do we want for ourselves? And I think that is the, you know, the the grappling with that question is what will inform our housing policy, our economic development policy, you know. So I think that 
you know, like Stu was saying, the the cultural side of it, it's at the very beginning. It's not at the end. It's, mm. it's you know. Um, you've used the, uh, the 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 constituent, the historical societies. Are there other historical societies that you've come across that um, we think of those of, of kind of keeping the past alive? But are there examples of historical societies that are also thinking about well, what's what? How can we contribute to the future? Any examples there, Molly? Well, so I mean, I'm, this is a very biased perspective, but obviously, I'm on the board of the MDI Historical Society and. I think that there's a lot of really important thinking happening there around the digital. I think that's probably something that a lot of historical societies are um, going to have to grapple with. I mean, I think there's when it comes to the digital, I think it's long been the um, the very dire, you know, uh, statement like adapt or die, really. Right. And, and I mean, it's it's an interesting balancing act where you think about material culture and in-person gathering. And then you also think about like the events that are taking place in our communities, like the material culture from that are going to be screenshots of comment sections on Facebook. You know, like I know that in Castine, when they just had this, this horrendous um, car crash that killed, I believe four, maybe main maritime students. I know that the, you know, uh, history professionals in that town were taking social media screenshots to collect. And, and it's really a question of how those, how the digital story and how the story of technological transformation is going to be told in the future. Um, because I think digital is much more slippery even than, I mean, paper can burn, of course, but bits and bytes can just, I don't know, dissolve, do whatever they do. Anybody who's technologically savvy is laughing right now, but <laughs> it's, it's really, a, I think, an important moment to say, how are we capturing what's happening around us right now? Um, so that we can continue to have informed conversations about how social media has transformed our communities, how AI is going to transform our communities. And I know that the MDI Historical Society is a is a uh, spark plug for something called the History Trust, which in fact brings um, so many different historical societies together to kind of preserve what they already have so that if you go to the Bar Harbor Historical Society, for instance, um, you're going to be able to find um, digital resources from other historical societies through that through that portal. What wonderful yeah. concept. There's really the uh, oh, go ahead. main memory network, too. That's yes, a, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think the historical societies are an interesting example of, you know, when we think about what what true resiliency is, I think you know, there's some people that define resiliency as centralizing, and there's others who define resiliency as being having everything local. I mean, in Maine, it's like we, we like to have a school, a fire department, and a historical society, and, and every zip code almost, right? Is it just that's kind of how our economy and our uh, society has developed uh, a sense of, I think, resiliency and feeling safe and, you know, self contained. But it will be interesting to see how we approach collaboration. To, to build strength while also being able to maintain, um, you know, this very unique local character. I mean, like the St. John Valley is one of my favorite examples. It's just like dotted with these amazing historical societies that all tell a very distinct story about, you know, the shifted borders around what, 1812. This is bad. Again, the technological people and the history people are going to laugh at my attempts at being specific here, but it's just an amazing, you know, snapshot, I suppose, of a, of a place that a very local historical society can offer. Well, it's a great example of, you know, if we talk about cultural policy, 
when you think about like centralization that's coming up, you know, everywhere, hospitals, schools, and that's, that's happened earlier too, you know, in, in the sixties and seventies, but, you know, you want to be mindful of the culture because you, you know, it's not just that you put one big building in the middle of someplace and everybody goes there. It's like, you know, there are ways that people know how to get around and be the, who they are. Well, in the minute we have left each of you, um, what do you just uh, one statement that says what you love about this work? Um, uh, Stu, can we start with you? What what do you really love about this work? The way that it connects people, connects people with communities and with themselves and with people they've never met before. Eklis, what would you add to that? What do you really love about this work? I love uh, bringing the diverse voices that are in our community together. Uh, I love that it's celebrating one another. It's a celebratory organization. I feel like if we're talking about historical society or if we're talking about art and artists, it's all work that makes us happy. And we need to be happy right now. So I'm really happy about that. <laughs> Very briefly, Molly, you're, what do you love about this work? My spiel is always, you know, we have this concept of first responders that save our lives. And I think culture workers are second responders who help us put our lives back together. And I'm thrilled to support that. Great. Thank you so much. We've come to the end of the hour. Be sure and join us from four to five on the second Wednesday afternoon of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you have comments or suggestions for topics, please email us at news at weru.org. Our theme music is a medley from Karnak on a Balnain House Highland music recording. Thanks to our guests in the studio, um, virtual studio, Molly Cashwell and Eklis Ahmed, who are co-directors of the Cultural Alliance of Maine, and Stu Kestenbaum, who was one of the co-founders that is on the steering committee. Um, remember that Cultural Heritage Week in Maine is celebrated March 15th through the 22nd. Thanks to those you listened, and thanks to our underwriters, Thanks to Amy Brown and Joel Mann for helping to engineer our program. Stay tuned for Ralph Nader Radio from 5 to 6 and The Groove Shop from 6 to 8. Liz Graves and I are producers and hosts for Talk of the Towns, and this is Ron Beard wishing you a good afternoon. <laughs>